Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. I'm glad you brought up that message a couple weeks ago about the prayer of faith, because that seems like what the Lord wants us to have a theme about. We're going to talk about faith also today. So, here's a question as we begin. Would you, thinking about where you are right now in your life and where things are, would you like to have greater faith than you do right now? Who wouldn't, right? It's interesting, when you think about when Jesus talked about faith, he talked about faith in sizes. Uh, Jesus talked about faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. And he, he also marveled at the great faith that he hadn't even seen in all of Israel. And then the unbelief of others. And Jesus also said at one point, O ye of little faith. Jesus talked about faith in sizes. And so here's the question, another question for you. What size would you give your faith? What size is your faith this morning? You know, maybe you're facing a, a life challenge. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's physical. Uh, maybe it's your, about your future. Maybe it's just doubt about God and the Bible and all of this. Maybe you don't feel loved by God. But let me just say this this morning. If this is you, you don't need, and I think you'll agree with me, you, you and I, if we're in that situation, we don't need another inspirational quote. <laughs> we need strong faith. We need strong faith that God will work in our life, and he will work in this situation. So if you're feeling like your faith is small, if it's weak, where would you go in Scripture? If you wanted your faith to be built up and you wanted to just dig into Scripture, where would you first start? Some of you that have been Christians for a while, maybe you would go to Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith there, people of faith uh, the Scripture talks about. Perhaps you would study the miracles of Jesus. For me, it was Romans chapter 4 that we're going to look at today, this passage. At a particular time in my life, in my 20s, I felt extremely weak in faith. I'm just going to open up here for just a minute. And by the way, it's not good when a young pastor is wavering like that. Um, for me, I knew that I couldn't keep living like this in my head and in my heart. Just, just doubt. Um, my faith was just so under attack. Still reading the Bible, still studying the Bible, looking for answers in books and things like that. But I was just in a faith funk. And so I, looking at different things, one of the things that came to my mind is uh, that I remember that Abraham is called the father of faith. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to study Abraham. I'm going to study Abraham's life. I want to get to know Abraham. What was it about him and why would he, why would God be so, uh, talking so favorably about 
Abraham's faith. So I did this study and I really filtered down here to Romans chapter four and this is when my glorious breakthrough came. And although since then, I have had some good days and bad days of faith. We're always fluctuating, it feels like, uh, in our faith here and there. But I've never been in a funk since this time, at this point in my life, never. Faith really did, as I was reading through this Romans chapter 4, and really just embracing it and meditating on it, it really, faith really did come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So my question was, as I dove into this, was what made Abraham's faith so amazing? What caused this ordinary man to have such extraordinary faith? I learned by example, and, um, and so the point was, what's the secret sauce? <laughs> what's Abraham's secret to faith? So that's what we're going to look at today. And remember, the theme here in Romans chapter 4 that Paul is writing about ultimately is how to be saved, how a person can be saved. Last week we talked about the fact that the Old Testament says that Abraham believed. <laughs> That's it. Abraham believed. And, that, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And it's the same way they were saved in the Old Testament, the same way we're saved today. That's Paul's point. It's all the same. It's always been the same. You believe and it's counted to you for righteousness. Belief in the Old Testament, that word A-M-A-N in Hebrew, aman, which is where we get our word amen. It's basically just saying, amen, God, I, I just trust you. I believe everything you're saying. And so that's where we're picking up now. Now, Paul is going to say, now let me explain this faith that Abraham had. Let, let me just give you the, the mechanics of this and how amazing it actually was, all right? So that's where we're at, verse 16, let's pick it up. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, basically not just the Jews, not those ones that came through Abraham's line, but to, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In other words, anyone who exercises faith to be saved, is doing the exact same thing that Abraham did, and Abraham believed, and it was counted to him for righteousness, so it's the same for us if we believe. Uh, we, are imp- we have imputed righteousness. God imputes or puts uh, uh, righteousness into our account. He places righteousness into our account in heaven. So that's why Abraham is considered the father of faith. He's our father. If you have faith, To trust in Christ, he's your father too. We're all Abraham's children. Now let's read this together. I'm gonna read verses 17 through 25 all together and then I'm gonna break it down, okay? So let's just now pick pick up what this faith was all about for Abraham. All right, as it was written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, 
he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. All right, well, let's break this down and try to understand. Sorry if there's some trouble there. <laughs> let's break this down, try to understand here the, the faith of Father Abraham. You talk to some people about faith, and they seem to view faith as believing in something even though it's not real. You know, believing in something like you know, faith in, I have faith in Santa Claus. You know, I believe Santa Claus or Easter Bunny. They, they think faith is the opposite of facts. Faith is the opposite of science. Uh, they're inferring that you have to check your brains at the door if you're going to have faith. But faith is not like that at all. God never asks anyone to give up reason or logic at all. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that, that Paul reasoned with people all the time. He used a lot of reason. If you could boil it down, faith is simply taking God at his word. Faith is simply just taking God at his word. That's why the word trust is such a good way to understand faith. It's just trusting what God has said. That's it. That's faith. Knowing that God is trustworthy and just saying amen, he will do what he says he will do. That was the secret to Abraham's faith. He just trusted that God would fulfill his word. Now let's remember the context of Abraham's life story here, okay? So in Genesis 12, we're introduced to a man from an idol-worshiping home. His name is Abram. God just comes to this man suddenly. We don't know why exactly God chose this particular individual. But he chooses Abraham and he tells him, listen Abraham, leave your homeland and go to a land that I'm going to give you. And he was sending him to Canaan. But then, and he promised this land, he promised many descendants, and he promised the, a blessing for the entire world. So, what did Abraham do? God spoke and told him something, gave him a promise. So then Abraham trusted. He trusted that what God said was correct, that God said would happen, and so he left. He left his homeland, and now he came to a land that we know, now know as Israel. Now, he doesn't hear from God again, <clears throat> Um, about having a child until many, many years later when he's 85 years old. We talked about that. So then at, at 85 years old, in Genesis chapter 15, God reaffirms this promise. After that, so he's 85 years old, God reaffirms, yes, go outside, Abraham, look at the stars, you're going to have that many descendants. I still don't have a child, I'm 85 years old, God. 14 more years pass. See, he and Sarah still don't have a child. Now, during those 14 years of waiting, they had a lapse in their faith. They figured that God needed some help keeping his promises. And so Sarah encouraged Abraham to take Hagar, her handmaid, as a second wife, and so that they could have this promised child. That's a horrible idea. <clears throat> and that has led to consequences even today. And it's a picture of trying to get something by our own works, when God has already promised that he would give something, and it's a, it's a horrible way to do it. 
And, uh, and that's the opposite of faith. He's now 99 years old. And uh, God has finally told him now, in Genesis chapter 17, God comes to Abraham and says, okay, Abraham, now I'm going to give you your child. And within one year, you're going to have a child. And what does Abraham do? He laughs. Genesis 17, verses 17 and 18, he laughs. Sarah herself laughed in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 18. It's no wonder this kid's name is Isaac. Laughter. Everyone was going to laugh. I mean, they really were. When you see a pregnant 90-year-old woman, uh, you're going to laugh. You just cannot help it. And uh, or you know, or after the baby's born, and you see this old couple walking around with a baby, just think of all the men in the waiting room at the hospital and the maternity ward with Abraham. You're the dad. Come on. Or when Sarah was at the supermarket, you know, talking to the clerk. Yeah, this is my baby. But this would always be. Think about this laugh, though. This laugh would always be the laugh of astonishment. It's like, you know, you laugh when you come and you see one of those little kids playing, like a a little real small child playing the piano, a little prodigy child, you know. You just kind of giggle to yourself. That's so cute, you know. But this kid is just playing this amazing piece. It's the laugh of astonishment. How did this happen? This is impossible. And this is why God waited so long. This is why God waited so long. I think it's primarily due to the fact that he, God wanted to make it very clear that the delivery of the promise can only be attributed to God. There was no help from man whatsoever. Man did his part, and that's a part of faith, certainly. Faith without works is dead. Abraham and Sarah had to do their part. But ultimately, this was God's promise being fulfilled. And that is exactly like our salvation. We cannot attribute it to ourselves. Anything except the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is, uh, it pales in comparison and will not work. This is, why does God do it this way? Why would God make our salvation happen just like this? This is so people will be astonished at what God has done. So we just accept this gift by faith. Now let's look at what made Abraham be able to have such strong faith, though, for so many years. And before I launch into this, I have to say, again, I remind us that Abraham's faith was amazing, but it wasn't perfect. I already mentioned he had a lapse in his faith there with Hagar. And yet think about this, even though he had that lapse in faith, in Romans chapter 4, as we just saw just a moment ago, it very clearly says that Abraham was strong in faith. Paul knew that he had that lapse in faith. God knew, of course, that he had that lapse in faith, and yet he's still described as strong in faith. Boy, this is comforting to me. I don't know about you. For anybody who has imperfect faith, Yes, we will lapse in our faith and experience the consequences at times. But get back up on the horse. Get back on the horse and keep trusting God. You and I can still be strong in faith. Strong in faith. And this is how our journey of faith works. Faith is dynamic. It's not static. It's always growing or it's always shrinking. It's always moving. You make a choice to trust God based on the little that you do know and the little measure of faith that God has given you. So you act on that, and you trust that. 
And then that choice is rewarded with a blessing and a greater understanding of God, and so then you take another step of faith. And he proves faithful again, and your faith matures. And you can trust him even more, and you read more of his word, and you step out again in faith, and your faith increases and increases and increases, and you keep reading the word and all of that. And every day you make a choice to trust him again and live by his book. We walk by faith, not by sight. So, what is it? What's the secret to Abraham's faith? That why God would describe him as a man who had strong faith. Such an example to all of us. What were the inner workings? Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, listen now, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So the first thing here is that Abraham established in his heart who God is and what he does. See, Abraham learned something about Jehovah God. Here he is, he's raised in an idol-worshiping home, and all of a sudden Jehovah God just breaks in on his life. And he all of a sudden learns something about this God that now he is going to follow. And that is that this God makes dead things live. That's just who he is. And also, he calls things which don't exist as if they existed. God just talks as if things aren't happening and can't happen, or those things that aren't happening and can't happen will happen. God just says, he just says things. (laughs) Like he's not bothered by impossibilities. Oh, no, that can't happen. Oh, but God said it's gonna happen. As if the future is already history to God. This God, he doesn't talk like people. He doesn't talk like a man. He doesn't talk like a woman. Abraham just came to the conclusion that this is just what this God does. He does impossible stuff. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that Abraham was convinced that if he sacrificed Isaac on the altar, that God would raise him from the dead. So in Abraham's mind, when he was going to offer Isaac that, on that moment, he was thinking in his head, well, I know God raises dead things. I just know that's what God does. That's who he is. <clears throat> so I'll do this, but God will just raise him up. That's, he was convinced about God that he can do the impossible. See, if someone can't accept that God is able to break through and do the impossible, then, then they'll never get any further in their faith. If, if we're just going to stop and say, you know, I, I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe that God uh, can actually work in this situation. It's, it's just, um, I don't know, I, I just don't I just think he can do it. Well, then, then you're never going to get past that. And that's where your faith is going to be stuck. Abraham was an ordinary man, but he accepted something about God, and that is that God sometimes does things outside the natural order of things. This is the God we serve. This is the God Abraham served. Now stop and think for a minute just how fully believing that alone would would help your faith. If you really believe that this is how God is, then nothing he says should surprise us. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's what he even says there in Genesis 18 (coughs) to Sarah. (coughs) Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? So think about your life, what is dead right now that needs to live? What doesn't exist that you're asking God to make 
exist. And that's what God does. He specializes in those things. <coughs> Excuse me. Robert Dick Wilson, he was a professor of Hebrew at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. He was also one of the most brilliant men of his time. One of his graduates was the famous pastor, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Twelve years after Barnhouse graduated, he came back to Princeton to preach in the, in the chapel. And uh, when his, his turn, his day came to preach in his old chapel there, um, his teacher, Dr. Wilson, his professor, sat right there in the front row to hear him. It was very, very intimidating, uh, Barnhouse said. But there he was. Barnhouse preached his heart out. And, and afterward, his professor came up to him and said this, quote, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once. I am glad that you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what their ministry will be. Barnhouse said, man, I need you to explain this. So he said, well, some men have a little God. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of inspiration and transmission of the scriptures. He doesn't intervene on behalf of God's people. They have a little God. I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks, it is done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. You, Donald, have a great God and he will bless your ministry. And he smiled and walked away. Abraham was a big godder. He just, he, he just knew this God makes dead things live, and he calls things that aren't as though they were. We should be like that too. Notice Abraham is not denying the science. He's not denying the existence of obstacles or problems. Abraham was not living in denial. He knew very much that what he was saying was, this is an impossible task, that I would have a child at this age. That's impossible. I understand that. But I have a big God. He's much bigger than this. He works outside of what, how we work. He just made up his mind. Abraham just made up his mind that God does stuff like this. It's just par for the course. It's God's MO, standard God right there. And when you do that, then you have the foundation of a strong faith. Verse 18, who against hope, this is Abraham now, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Against hope believed in hope. What an amazing statement. Hope means anticipation, expectation. It's not I hope so, it's I know so. It's joyful and confident expectation, the Strong's says. So number two, Abraham expected God to come through when most would have given up hope. When most people just threw in the towel and didn't believe God could do it or he would do it, Abraham just ex still expecting, still expecting, still expecting, year after year after year after year after year, still expecting God to be true to his word. Most people give up too quickly. And when we even, even as believers, sometimes we can just give up too quickly. And the world doesn't have any hope at all. Uh, they, they have nowhere to turn. But a person with the faith of Abraham doesn't lose hope. 
They just don't because they always are just expecting God to still keep his promise. We're at a point where it's now even harder for God. That's okay. I'm not, I've not lost hope. I still anticipate. I still know that God can work. No matter how long it takes, God can still work. There was an especially trying time in the work of the China Inland Mission and Hudson Taylor, the great Hudson Taylor, wrote this to his wife. He said, honey, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. <laughs> that is against hope, believing in hope. That's what it is. Just so convinced that God will come through. I know, I know it's at the bottom. I know it's hard to believe. But against hope, we believe in hope. In verse 19, and then being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Notice that dead and deadness. I mean, he just knew everything was dead. <laughs> considered not his own body, now dead, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. This, this is the verse that I think clinched it for me and helped me so much. The word considered there means to observe fully to fix your eyes or your mind upon. And so it says, Abraham did not observe fully his dead body or his wife's dead womb. He did not observe it. He did not fix his eyes on that. So number three here, in other words, Abraham did not focus on the doubt-causing impossibility. He refused to spend time focusing on the doubt-causing impossibility. You know, as somebody has said, uh, he, Abraham glanced at his problem, but gazed at his God. See, you know, here's our mistake. We place so much emphasis on the bigness of the problem that we can't see God. You know, the sun is so big that it can fit 1.3 million earths inside of it. And we are just one speck on, on the earth. And yet, I can take my cell phone and I can hold it, a small item like a cell phone, I can hold it all the way up to my eyes and I can block out the sun from view. And this is what we do with our problems. God is so big and he can handle them easily. But we hold up our little problems so close that we block God from view. We're so focused on our stuff, so focused on this little thing that <clears throat> this is hard, this is bad, this is big. No, it's not compared to God. And that was my mistake. I was spending so much energy focusing on the stuff that was causing me doubt. And I just realized that's not what Abraham did. This was part of the secret to his faith. He just stopped focusing so hard on anything that was dead and just focused on God. Huge difference. That's a huge, huge difference. And, the, and specifically, he was focusing on the word of God. And that's what made his face so exemplary. Joe the worry wart. He was always worrying so much every single day. So he finally decided, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to hire a professional worrier. And he did. He hired a professional worrier to take his place. The worrier just sat at home all day being worried, and 
Joe just danced then to work. No, not a worry in the world, feeling so good, smiling his face, happy. And one day his co-worker noticed the change in him. The burden had just been lifted from Joe. And he said, man, what is going on? He told him, I hired a professional worrier. He's at home worrying for me. And he, the co-worker said, well, how much do you pay that guy? And he said, I pay him $1,000 a day. $1,000 a day? Wait, wait a second. You only make $100 a day. How, how are you going to pay him? He said, that's his worry. <laughs> What, what, a great, what a great story. And this is what Abraham did. <laughs> People asked him, Ab- Abraham, your, your name is Abram, the exalted father. Where are your kids? Come on, where, where are all these kids God promised you? And he said, that's God's worry. That's his worry. That's not my worry. He's the one who promised it. I'm not going to sit here and whine about it. Let God worry for you is the point. Let God worry for you. Don't focus on the doubt-causing impossibility. What else did Abraham do? Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, I think this means that he never allowed himself to wobble on the fact that God made a promise. He didn't allow himself to wobble on the fact that God made a promise. Stagger is the same Greek word that James uses in the book of James when he talks about wavering, wave to waver in faith, like the waves of the sea. To stagger is to waver. It means you're on shaky ground. You're up and down constantly. You're wobbly. Abraham didn't have a wobbly, shaky faith he, because he focused on the fact that this God, this big God that I serve, has now made a promise he has, something has come out of his mouth. He has made a, he has given us his word. And so I'm just going to keep focusing on that. Uh, we, we just keep the Bible. That's what we have to do. We live day by day. We walk by faith, not by sight. We live uh, by the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We don't stagger on the fact that God has, spoken and we we stare and we look and we we stand on the word of god we keep the bible every day before our minds and we just keep telling ourselves god said this god said this the god said this and we believe it in 1893 uh, there was an engineer by the name of george ferris f-e-r-r-i-s he built a machine that bears his name today, the Ferris wheel. When it was finished, he first, his first one he ever did, he invited a news reporter, newspaper reporter to accompany him for the first ride. And it was a windy day. And so the stiff breeze was uh, striking the, the Ferris wheel and it was blowing around a little bit. But that news reporter got on with him, George Ferris and George Ferris's wife, And they went around one turn. They were blowing in the wind a little bit, but they came back all the way around. One revolution, when it stopped, they got off. And amazingly, they lived. And they were astounded at how this whole thing worked safely. Mrs. Ferris and the reporter, if you think about it, what they did is that they exercised faith. Mr. Ferris, he had the scientific knowledge that this thing was safe, that this machine would work and it would be safe. 
but his wife and the reporter, they had to trust in his word. They trusted that he knew he was right, and we believe, they believed that, and they stepped on and put their life in his hands. That's what we do with the word of God. This, these are the promises that God has give to, uh, given to us, and this is where we base our faith. Our, ba- our faith has a strong basis. You can trust your life with what the inventor of eternal life has said. Someone has commented that Abraham had a choice between two impossibilities. Abraham had a choice between two impossibilities. First, the human impossibility of becoming a father. Second, the divine impossibility of God being able to break his word and lie. Abraham made his choice. And that's what we need to do. Choose to believe that God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. This passage could also say that he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I think at least a partial meaning here of this is that he was strengthened in faith as he gave glory to God. He became strengthened in faith as he gave glory to God. Glory, giving glory to God, is is, uh, the same as giving worship to God. Abraham would worship God and his faith would then increase more and more and his it would be built up and then that faith that he had that glorified or that that he got from giving worship to God that faith then in it of itself would be would glorify God it's a circle it they strengthen one another everyone knows that when we choose to worship we choose to come to church We choose to get up and read our Bibles. When we choose to worship the Lord, despite the circumstances, that our faith is built up. It just is. It increases. When we come to church, when we sing praises, even when things aren't perfect, we walk away saying, this was good that I was in the house of the Lord. I feel strengthened that I came. And when we choose to thank the Lord for what he has done, even though we don't see all the answers yet, we're always strengthened. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Some have called this verse right here the clearest definition of faith in the entire Bible. He was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That is faith. Taking God at his word. Faith is simply taking God at his word. It's it's just trust. He trusted God to keep his word. Abraham was an ordinary man like you, like me. There was nothing amazing or extraordinary just about the man himself. Nothing superhuman about him. But he was just fully persuaded that God would perform his promises. That's what made him, his faith, so different. And what did God give Abraham because of this genuine faith? Verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. You might might say, well, ain't that great. Good job, Abraham, but I'm no Abraham. (laughs) Watch this, verse 23. Now it was not written written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. To him it shall be imputed. If we To whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, 
who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. What an amazing truth. This whole thing was with Abraham is not just about Abraham. Even back in 2000 BC, God was thinking about us. Every person who would read this. It, it, look what it says. It was not written for his sake alone, but for us also. God had in mind this whole time that this would be for everybody. So it was God looking through the corridors of time and putting this in there so all people would know that Abraham's faith is, is what we need to have. It's the same thing and how it relates to each one of us. So this is what we can be assured of today. Anyone who believes, that's what it says right here, anyone who believes in God who raised Jesus from the dead will also have righteousness imputed to their account. It's the same as Abraham believing in the miracle of God to give him a baby, and he and Sarah giving life where there is no life. And that's the same thing that Jesus does in our salvation. He gives life where there is no life. It's the same kind of faith. There's no difference. It's just trusting God to keep his word. That's it. God makes something out of nothing. That's what he does for us. He makes something out of nothing. Specifically, it says here in verse 25 what, exactly what we're to believe, and that is that Jesus was delivered to be crucified for our sins, and, ro- and he rose again for our justification. If we believe that God did all that, he delivered Jesus to be crucified, and, and our sins are paid for there, and it, through his resurrection we are justified. If you believe that, if you trust that God did that, then you have imputed righteousness into your account, enough to be able to go to heaven. If faith can do that, if faith can do that, then imagine what it can do for each of us each and every day if we'll just believe his promises. Paul wanted us to have strong, difference-making faith. Any, any person can be a person of faith. Just start with the little faith that you have right now, the teeniest, tiniest amount. Just respond in, in, in belief to, with that faith, in trust. Then it will grow. And as you do, just like Abraham did, you just keep trusting and trusting. Lord, to this morning, we want to trust you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.